Well, good morning. Uh, Welcome to our Easter service. Our call to worship uh, comes uh, from great catechism. Three questions. Is it significant that he was crucified instead of dying in some other way? Yes. The death convinces me that he shouldered the curse which lay on me since death by crucifixion was accursed by God. Why did Christ have to go all the way to death? Because God's justice and truth demanded it. Only the death of God's Son could pay for our sin. How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? First, by His resurrection, He has overcome death so that He might make us share in the righteousness He won for us by His death. Second, by His power, we too are already now resurrected to a new life. Third, Christ's resurrection is a guarantee of our glorious resurrection. For our time of confession this morning, I want to read Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Please join with me in this time of prayerful confession. Our Father in heaven, Nothing whatsoever can be concealed from you, the all-knowing, all-seeing, all-wise God. No act, no word, not even our thoughts are beyond your all-powerful gaze. We confess this morning that we are guilty. We are blameworthy. For Father, those things that we know we ought to have done, we have not done. And the things we know we ought to do to please you, and as your word teaches, we so often do not do them. We have not loved you, our creator, as we ought. We have loved ourselves more. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have been selfish, filled with pride. We have not yielded our lives in service to others. Father, we confess that we come to you not because we deserve anything at thy hand, but because you're merciful and you're kind and ready to forgive. Father, help us to yield ourselves fully unto the Spirit of God as you search us and you know us. You're seeing if there are any evil ways in us. We know that there are. We ask, Father, not only as we confess our sins before you that we would truly yield ourselves to the all-seeing God, but that we would forsake those same sins. Grant us the, the power by your Holy Spirit who is within us that we may put away those sins which so easily beset us that we may put away the sins of the flesh, the sins of the eyes and the mind, that we may serve you with a pure heart, 
Cleanse us, Father, from these things. Be merciful to us, O God, we ask. In these things we know that Christ Jesus, our Lord, has paid our debt in full, and he alone has brought us near to God. His blood has cleansed us from all our sins, and that blood is precious in your sight. So may the peace of the Lord our God rest upon us as we find compassion from you. Amen. We are forgiven in Christ. The reading of the scriptures from Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, please join me for a time of uh, prayer. Father in heaven, we uh, we come before you with uh, our heads bowed in worship and praise and adoration. We worship you, O Father, for out of your loving kindness you gave your only begotten Son, that by believing in him we might have eternal life. And we worship you, Jesus Christ, Son of God. For though you were in the form of God, you did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied yourself taking the form of a servant and giving your life, numbered with the transgressors, yet bearing the sin of many, dying but rising again with the marks of the cross to show that loving your own in the world, you loved them to the end. And so we rejoice in your resurrection and your triumph over sin and death. We rejoice with thanksgiving for the gift of the Holy Spirit and the new birth by which we may behold the beauty of the Son, hear His voice, and follow Him. 
And for these things, Father, we pray, give us grace to live more and more in a manner worthy of our calling and worthy of the gospel of Christ. Uh, We are thankful for the gift of prayer through which we can make our request to you, knowing that you care for us. And so we pray for your blessings to us upon our worship and our service to you and our love and service to our neighbor. We pray for our daily bread and the supplying of all our needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. With continued concerns for uh, the spread of uh, the coronavirus, we pray for your protection for us, especially for those at heightened risk because of age or other health factors, for protection Uh, for the many doctors, nurses, first responders attending the needs of the sick, for government leaders as they continue to wrestle with policies and gathering medical resources for those infected with the virus. We pray for missionaries going into places like the Congo where there are little resources to stave off or to deal with the spread of sickness. We pray for faith to walk through these difficult days, uh, to wait patiently upon you, remembering as we shelter in place that you are our true shelter. Your name is a strong tower, and the righteous may run into it, and there we are safely set on high. We pray for the outreach and growth of the church, the preaching of the word, acts of mercy, and the sharing of our faith. And we pray that you would soon bring this pandemic to an end, but accomplish your purposes for us in it, purposes that we know are wise and good. Now, Father, may your blessings be upon Phil and bless your word to us. May it go out in power and accomplish the purposes you intend for us. Amen. Thy will be done. Lord, hear our prayers. Uh, Well, as you know, we have come to the end of Holy Week. We have spoken of the triumphal entry, crucifixion, and the resurrection. Great signal events in the life of the church and the work of our Savior. But what, is, uh, what does it all really mean? Uh, and part of the answer is in our text this morning. Perhaps uh, an expanded reflection upon the accomplishments of Christ upon the cross. The context is one of the great prayers of the Bible. As you know, historically, because of Israel's violation of Sabbath, God kicks them out of the land of rest to give the land rest, and the prayer is uh, provoked by the realization that the nation is nearing the end of its 70 years of captivity, and Daniel prays for restoration. His prayer includes confession and repentance. Uh, For example, very quickly, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 13, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought 
the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to thy truth. So Daniel's confessing. And then he turns to appeal to God in verses 15 to 19 uh, for God to hear and for God to act. Uh, here again, uh, Daniel 9, verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action for Thine own sake. O my God, do not delay, because Thy city and Thy people are called by Thy name. Well, God dispatches Gabriel uh, with the answer to the prayer in verses 20 to 27. And the answer embraces our particular text this morning. Uh, the Messianic blessings of Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, with promises of total and complete uh, restoration and transformation. Uh, the answer also includes uh, timing. The timing of uh, the outpouring of these great Messianic blessings but it also includes the tragic and fatal consequences of rejecting Messiah in verses 25 and 27. Uh, and I say that because as is so typical in Scriptures, we have great, incredible promises of grace uh, and then uh, consequences of rejecting those promises and turning away from them, rejecting the Messianic blessings. So great blessings in verse 24 and then the consequences of, of rejecting them, uh, verses 25 to 27. So two parts to the prayer, great blessings and then timing. Uh, and the timing includes uh, our reckoning with responsibility and accountability. There's a temporal indicator, of course, in verse 24. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. Uh, because the context is, is a vision, uh, and the vision sections are apocalyptic literature, uh, the numbers in my own mind are symbolic numbers. They're not literal numbers. Uh, they're symbolic. Uh, just as a way perhaps to help you through this, uh, even in the biographical section of the book of Daniel, uh, there are symbolic uh, numbers, I think. For example, Daniel uh, chapter 3. Uh, in verse 19, uh, we have a uh, we have a reference uh, uh, to uh, uh, testing. Uh, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath, and his facial expression was altered toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. Well, seven times, again, obviously symbolic. No thermometers then, no particular gauge to increase the heat, uh, make it hotter seven times. It's just uh, realization of the fact that it is going to be as hot as they could make it. Symbolic number. There's another symbolic number, I think, in uh, Daniel uh, Chapter 4, in verse 16, let his mind be changed from that of a man, let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. Again, a symbolic period of time. He's tested in a full and complete and perfect way. Uh, most commentators see the 70 weeks as referencing uh, weeks of years or 490 years based, I think, upon the sabbatical system. Uh, as you know, God 
God created uh, the world. He was finished on the seventh day. The Sabbath was to be commemorated forever. Uh, Exodus 20, verse 8, uh, based upon God's rest in uh, Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. That's a starting point of the entire sabbatical system, which includes uh, specific duties that were to be accomplished in the seventh year and then intensified uh, in the year of Jubilee. So to me, the, uh, the word, uh, the number seven, pardon me, is a number reflecting a fullness, a fullness of time. Uh, I think, again, there is a picture of this in the uh, book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1 and verse 12. Uh, request of Daniel, please test your servants. Uh, notice a symbolic number uh, referencing ten. Uh, ten, I think, again, is a, is a complete number, a whole number. Uh, representing a perfect period of time. Uh, Daniel chapter 1 and verse 12, uh, please test your servants for 10 days. I guess you could say it's a literal number, but I hardly can uh, uh, grasp the notion that a diet could work so completely in just 10 days. So I think it's a, it's a time of testing. Uh, it's a perfect time of testing in which uh, Daniel can be manifested uh, as uh, uh, complete and uh, full uh, and not having to partake of uh, the sacrificial animals of uh, the Babylonian uh, sacrificial system in worship of Marduk. Uh, Daniel chapter 1, verse 14. So he listened to him in this matter and tested them for 10 days. Uh, verse 20, And as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found then ten times better than all the magicians and conquerors that were in his realm. Ten times better, just perfect, much more perfect than his uh, false teachers and deceivers. Uh, very important uh, reference to this uh, because I think John uh, alludes uh, to Daniel chapter 1 uh, in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. Uh, do not fear that uh, what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison uh, that you may be tested and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful unto death and I'll give you the crown of life. I don't know there was a literal ten days. I think of just a perfect period of testing. The church was going to be tested uh, for this period of time, referenced uh, by, uh, by the ten, uh, alluding to Daniel chapter 1. In other words, the 70 weeks or 490 years represent a perfect period of time in which the six infinitives of verse 24 are inaugurated and consummated spanning the first and second comings of Christ. Uh, let's look in particular at Daniel 9.24 uh, because that's going to constitute the bulk of of uh, the reference of the answer, what does the resurrection mean? And I think it's a beautiful answer that comes from the prophet Daniel, the 24th verse. Uh, and the answer is messianic. The coming of Christ is the answer to Daniel's prayer. I mean, it's fuller than that. It engages a decree of Cyrus to rebuild uh, the temple, uh, but uh, it breaks most fully and beautifully upon Christ the Messiah and His comings and Remember, there's two, his first and his second. 
And it means that His resurrection will fix all things. That all of the infinitives of Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24 will recover everything about a fallen world. And the beauty and the majesty of all that that means. Certainly very pungent in our own times. We're struggling with a virus and the great danger that uh, it confronts us with. The threat of the loss of physical life and perhaps an untimely death. The answer is Christ. It's always Christ. And everything Christ is the answer. And so these accomplishments of Christ the Messiah are clearly stated in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. And there are six infinitives. Very interesting to me that the Greek translation has seven. I think they too were struggling with the perfect number, the complete, the full number, seven. So they take the six of the Hebrew Bible and make it seven. Uh, but they all have God as the implied subject. Uh, but I remind you that the fulfillment has begun in Christ. And we must not uh, forget this. The fulfillment uh, has begun in Christ. A uh, couple of verses. Uh, one of my favorites, Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled. Well, what time? All prophetic time including Daniel 9. Paul, I think, uh, is uh, helpful here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction. Now hear his words. Upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Have come. Christ has come. It's begun. It's started. We brace the majesty of fulfillment. Of course, they await complete uh, consummation of fulfillment, the second coming. Uh, but the central focus is Christ and His comings, uh, the Messiah, reminding us that the victory is total and certain. Uh, so let's begin, verse 24, and the, the six infinitives and the breathtaking effect of His redemptive work. Uh, it's obvious uh, when you look at the infinitives that the uh, first six are parallel, perhaps synonymously parallel, followed by the parallelism of the last three. So two pairs, three and three. And I think the uh, second set, the second three, are synthetic to the first. Uh, in regards to the parallelism, it's instructive that there is some blending and overlap in meaning. Yet there is also expansion and completion in a very majestic way in the second set of three. And of course, all telescope into final and total completion, the second coming. Uh, there's an interplay, of course, uh, in the... Uh, in uh, the verbal nouns... Uh, with uh, the direct object. And so we must, we must look at both and give attention to both and bring them, uh, bring them together, the majesty of the redemptive work of Christ. First, to finish the transgression. Uh, the idea of finish is the completion of a process. Uh, one of the great uh, Old Testament scholars that was brilliant in terms of the Christology of the Old Testament 
uh, was Hingstenberg. He prefers uh, to translate uh, the infinitive to shut in. Let me quote him. Of the sin which has been hitherto lain naked and open before the eyes of a righteous God will now be shut in, sealed up and hidden by the God of mercy so that it may be regarded as no longer existing. The Old Testament scholar Young highlights that the sin includes all apostasy and rebellion. But as a messianic reality that's begun in Christ, that he makes full and complete satisfaction for the sin of his people and the rebellion of his people and the apostasy of his people. It's a turning point of our lives as he saves his people. I love the text, and there are so many. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12. But he, Christ, having offered up one sacrifice for sins for all time, sacrifice for sin for all times, he sat down at the right hand of God because the work was finished. He completed it. The majesty of the messianic promise, uh, again, fulfilled by and in Christ. Baldwin contends that this is a reference to the final triumph of God's kingdom and the end of human history. I'm just embracing the reality that Christ starts it. His death upon the cross. One thing for sure, sin will not re-enter the eternal kingdom. The prospect of a fall is vacated forever. And this means for God's people, total, complete victory. The victory of the cross. The second, uh, to make an end of sin. Again, Daniel 9, verse 24. The second accomplishment of Christ to make an end of sin. Again, repairing to Hingstenberg, sin is described in this passage as sealed up because it is to be entirely removed out of God's sight and taken completely away. That Christ vacates guilt on the cross in justification and dispatches His Spirit to effect sanctification that will run its course until we are vindicated and glorified and sin is no more. Beautiful reminder of uh, the work of Christ. The majesty of the work of Christ. It embraces uh, the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. This perishable will put on the imperishable. Uh, This mortal will put on immortality. And the most beautiful words of all, I think, of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, and we shall be changed totally, irrevocably, forever and ever. And there will be no sin. The majesty of Christ. Uh, As well, another beautiful phrase that I think captures something of the majesty of this accomplishment in uh, Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 10. And the ransom of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. 
be no need for sorrow and sighing in the eternal estate because of the accomplishments of Christ, the fullness of joy, the majesty of all that it means. The kingdom is secured forever. All possibility of any threat whatsoever is removed. Danger is gone forever. Beautiful metaphorical expression of this in uh, the prophet Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah chapter 11 uh, and verses 6 to 9. Beauty in terms of the majesty of the accomplishment of Christ. And it's a full realization uh, in the eternal estate. Uh, And it too has begun in terms of peace and reconciliation captured in the the high metaphors. Uh, Again, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 to 9. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little boy will lead them, and the cow and the bear will graze, and their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. And the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. And they will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. A reconciliation's begun in Christ, uh, but in the beauty and the majesty of it, uh, no war, no anger, no threats, all vacated. Starts at the cross, but will run, of course, to the majesty of the second coming. And the eradication, again, encompasses complete transformation. Again, returning to Daniel 9.24, the third infinitive to make atonement for iniquity. Uh, The word atone is literally to cover over, but uh, literal meaning of the word, all of these are somewhat spiritual, uh, referencing sin, uh, but uh, I think the translation of the New American Standard is exactly to the point to make atonement for iniquity. That Christ is our high priest who offered himself to satisfy wrath and to make intercession for us. Uh, The beauty and the majesty uh, of the work of Christ. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, having made purification for sin, he sat down. Uh, The majesty, the greatness of our God, accomplishing uh, what we desperately need uh, in himself. Uh, the beautiful words returning to uh, the New Testament, uh, the author of the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 7, verse 24 and 25. He, on the other hand, because he abides forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Hence also he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Our high priest, uh, always on station, interceding for His people, uh, saving forever, saving them forever. Uh, again, Hebrews uh, chapter 9, verse 11 and 12, but when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things to come, He entered through a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through His own blood, He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So our Lord's propitiation removes the guilt of original sin, all personal sin, 
as the entire basis for our forgiveness. And as you know, this breaks the dominion of sin, sin over us, Romans chapter 6. And the application of atonement by the Spirit will continue uh, until the second coming of Christ as uh, the Spirit is, continues to gather the elect. But the atonement has been made, been secured in the beauty of the unity of the Trinity, the Spirit going out to make application. And that Christ is our Sabbath rest now and will be forever. Embracing something, I think, of the greatness of the language of Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, but certainly in terms of the theology of the Old Testament, uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 uh, to 21 for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation awaits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected in futility, not of its own will, but because of Him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's what Christ accomplished. Uh, beginning to end. The next three infinitives are also parallel and are replete with nuances of uh, eternal blessings. And again, because they're all messianic, Christ is the inauguration and the fulfillment. I would remind you something that I think is radically important in the beauty of the text. Uh, these three, the second set of three, highlight the result of the first three. Because sin is totally dealt with, these three will necessarily occur. They too begin with Christ and they will run until they're completely fulfilled. Uh, again, the Old Testament scholar Hingston Berg is instructive here, the removal of a triple threat is answered with a triple good. So forth, to bring in everlasting righteousness, again, Daniel 9.24, that Christ's righteousness is imputed to us, but it will be evident to all when He comes again. Uh, great, uh, beautiful reminder here from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 9.7, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. Inaugurated by Christ as he uh, in the resurrection ascends to his everlasting throne, uh, his session to the throne, the inauguration of his eternal kingdom will continue in the beauty and the majesty uh, from then on and forevermore. And then hear the words of Isaiah when he says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Accomplished by Christ. Guaranteeing the certain fulfillment, the majesty of the words. I love the words of Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, the end state, the consummation, will be visible, will be seen. The glory of the Lord will cover the earth. And all were covered. Again, beautiful promise. Bring in everlasting righteousness. 
As you know, righteousness is a standard of perfection. Christ is it. A beautiful expression here. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah. It forms one of the essence of the great cardinal doctrines of uh, the Protestant church. Jeremiah 23.6 In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he is called the Lord, our righteousness. Christ gives this to his church. His imputed righteousness. It's an objective righteousness. It's it's an alien righteousness uh, that embraces the merits of the standards of his perfect life, his perfect work, his perfect obedience as the entire basis of our salvation. Uh, but it will become permanent in the eternal estate. And therefore, the duration engages a subjective righteousness that is inherently our own. Uh, when all of the benefits of the accomplishments of Christ are applied to us in time by the Holy Spirit. He begins to sanctify and make righteousness inherently our own. Again, it's not meritorious. It's not the basis of our salvation, but it's the outworking of uh, the everlasting righteousness started by Christ. Uh, a righteousness inherently our own, evidenced in church life. Uh, the unity of the church in the book of Acts, the oneness, the righteousness of God coming into the church and bearing fruit, uh, bringing unity to the church. Uh, this should continue today. It's an important element of Christ's beginning righteousness. Uh, the unity of the church. The church is so important uh, in the kingdom of God. Uh, in the work of Christ, you cannot separate it uh, from the accomplishments and outworking in the church. And then, of course, total in the eternal estate. Total. Righteousness, again, if you will, will cover the earth. The standard and the glory of God will be visible and seen. And we will be vindicated before the lost and those who have rejected the enemies of the kingdom of God. Majesty of God. Uh, fifth accomplishment of Christ to seal up vision and prophecy. Uh, the concept is to, uh, to confirm. Uh, Baldwin has uh, the parallel to authenticate. Christ will authenticate all prophecy. Uh, but I think the best here is uh, the Old Testament scholar Hingstenberg. He prefers a fulfillment of all prophecy in Christ. Now that's beautiful and majestic. That all of the Old Testament prophets completed the majesty of Christ. Fulfilled Christ. It's the certainty that Christ inaugurates the end times. The fulfillment is in Him, evidenced in His session to the throne and marking the beginning of His reigning and ruling. Again, the beauty and the majesty of uh, Christ uh, fulfilling all prophecy from beginning to end, encompassed by uh, His first two comings, uh, the majesty, the beauty, reminding us of His accomplishments and the fullness of everything the crucifixion means, 
started by Christ, running its course. John, uh, in the book of the Revelation, has uh, that fulfillment uh, beginning in his day. In our day, it continues. It will run its course to the end. The majesty, uh, the majesty of God. Uh, lastly, to anoint the most holy. Uh, this is a uh, reference to a person. The, uh, the New American Standard uh, has uh, the most holy place, uh, but uh, it's the anointing of a person. And Christ, as you know, is the anointed of the Father. It's very instructive that both the Greek translation of the Old Testament and uh, the Hebrew Bible have holy of holies, and that's why the New American Standard, I think, reads the most holy place so that the reference encompasses our Lord's session and entrance into uh, His eternal sanctuary. Uh, beauty and the majesty of the eternal sanctuary uh, that uh, is fulfilled uh, by and in Christ. Let's look very quickly at the author of the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 8. Uh, Verses 1 and 2. The main point is that what has been said is this, we have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne with the majesty on high, a minister in the sanctuary in the true tabernacle, which is the Lord pitched not by man. Beautiful reminder that the end time temple has begun in Christ. Again, repairing to Hingstenberg, uh, he does not restrict the anointing to Christ, interestingly enough. Uh, he makes it inclusive of the outpouring of the Spirit on the church. Uh, because we are the end time temple, because we're in Christ. So Christ restores the temple in Himself. Beautiful illustration of this is there not in Matthew 27, verse 51. And the curtain, the veil separating the holy place and the holy of holies was split in two from top to bottom, signifying that now we have access through Christ uh, to the holy of holies and the presence of God and now and forever. Beautiful, if you will, a pictorial illustration. Uh, also historic. Uh, signifying the majesty of Christ. But the prayer, as you know, also speaks to the city of Zion. And this too is a present reality. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. It's been displaced from earth to heaven. The heavenly Jerusalem into myriads of angels... Ah, but verse 24 is so pronounced in its majesty and beauty and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And that too is also awaiting a future consummate fulfillment. Uh, coming of Christ. Revelation 21. And I saw the holy city of the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from 
throne, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. They shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death or mourning or crying. Again, the end state of, of the created order uh, set in motion by Christ. So begun by Christ, the accomplishments, Daniel 9, verse 24. Uh, the beginning includes uh, movement, the final completion, which is unstoppable and irreversible. There's a finality to absolute recovery when we are, in the words of the Apostle Paul, clothed with our dwelling from heaven. And that Christ has and will beautify us. But as you know, again, repetition of my concept has begun. Uh, if you believe in Christ, uh, rivers of living water flow from you. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, beginning the creation, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the self-control. It's begun in Christ and will run until it's totally consummated the second coming. The beauty of the accomplishments, now and forever. Started and yet running to total completion. It's really the Gospel in a full sense, is it not? Referencing the accomplishments of Christ and the absolute majesty of what it means to be forgiven, and all that that means from Daniel 9, verse 24. It's the summation of the Messianic blessings, and an implicit appeal to the Gospel, the reminder of hope, because it includes the fullness or the totality of realization in the eschaton. It encompasses the grandness of passages like Ephesians chapter 5, and verse 27, that His bride will be uh, presented, will be made without spot or wrinkle, uh, holy, uh, without blame. Started, and yet it will continue to the fullness of completion. Uh, Jude uh, 24, uh, to make us stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy. We're on that track, running to that end point. We will stand in the presence of the glory of God, blameless because of the work of Christ. As well, the beautiful text in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 12 and verses 2 and 3, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, and those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Encompassing one of the great Old Testament promises of the resurrection started by Christ, running and will be completed by Christ in the second coming. Again, in a very compressed measure of what the resurrection means to us. Easter Sunday. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Very quickly, Christ also sets the timeline, verses 25 to 27 in motion. The timeline here is very compressed and sinister. 
we shift from rejoicing for everything the Messiah has accomplished to all that he and his people will endure in an end time tribulation. Yet this timeline takes us uh, as well through the fulfillment of verse 24. Timeline has three consecutive phases. Seven weeks, 62 weeks, and the final 70th week, verses 26 and 27. The first uh, uh, seven weeks uh, begins with a decree issued by Cyrus. It's completed with a rebuilding of the temple. Uh, we know that not all returned, and the restoration was imperfect, which anticipates the coming of Christ. The 62 weeks takes us from the resurrection, pardon me, the restoration to the Roman occupation. Again, uh, concluding, if you will, in the terrible years of Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a type of the coming of uh, Titus, who was a type of the coming of Antichrist. And uh, Titus comes uh, and uh, destroys the temple again because uh, the visible or the ethnic people of God rejected uh, Daniel 9, verse 24. Uh, the uh, temple and the city are destroyed again, and the Roman armies and Titus, the great general, affect that. Uh, the beautiful words of, of uh, Daniel 9, 26, the first part of the verse, Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. That's the crucifixion. Cut off. He was cut for us. He was sacrificed for us to set in motion, Daniel 9, 24. And he had nothing. He was totally impoverished. Uh, even though he was the eternal God, rich beyond measure, he sets it aside, uh, and in his earthly life he is left, if you will, with nothing. The cross. The parallel fulfillment of that, though, is the beauty again of what he accomplished for us in 27a. You make a firm covenant with the many for one week. In the middle of the week, you will put a stop to sacrifices and grain offering. Christ makes a covenant. Of course, it embraces the eternal covenant of redemption. Of course, it embraces the covenant of Jeremiah 31. Uh, but He fulfills that covenant that He makes with us to secure us in our redemption. And I love the phrase, in the middle of the week, put a stop to sacrifices and grain offering. The entire Old Testament sacrificial system ends with Christ. He's the fulfillment of it. They stop with Him. Never to be repeated because, because His act upon the cross is non-repeatable. To repeat it is to cast dispersion on it. It's finished. He puts a stop to sacrifice and grain offerings because they break and they fall from the majesty of His work and all that that means. So it's a, it's a reminder uh, what Christ accomplished for us. Uh, in verse 26b and 27b, uh, there's the parallel judgment because uh, the visible or ethnic people of God rejected verse 9.24. Titus comes and renders complete destruction. And uh, there is, I think, in these verses uh, implicit danger. It's, uh, Titus is a type of coming of Antichrist who will come. And yet we know from chapter 9, verse 24 that our Savior will rescue us even from Antichrist because of the totality of the majesty of His work. Uh, Christ in the New Testament says of uh, the complete running of the 490 years that the end is not yet. 
Matthew uh, chapter 24. The end is not yet. Uh, and so we too must be faithful and endure to the end. Apprehend the majesty of the promises. Waiting and enduring and persevering in the faith because of the second coming uh, and what that means. Uh, Matthew uh, chapter 24, uh, I think, ends uh, the totality of the 490 uh, weeks and the promise of the second coming. Uh, Matthew 24 and verse uh, 29. Uh, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers, heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And He will send forth His angels with great temperate, and they will gather together His elect from the four winds and from one end of the sky to the other. That's the end, the consummation, the final realization. Running its course, that's our end state for all who know Christ. It's the reason the resurrection is so great. Because what He's accomplished and what we see in Him and what will become of us. Think of it in these dangerous times. Struggling with health be a non-issue. The great hope of the Gospel. Christ, the eternal governor governor, his eternal government. Great application for our day that's very powerful in light of the resurrection and all that started and all that will run its course. So many are turning to government. Government can fix a few things. Send us a check. Slow down a virus. But it will only end with Christ. The majesty of uh, the eternal state. Our hope is not government. It plays a role but let it be a tiny one in our lives. Let the eternality of our hope and our perseverance and our endurance in the faith rest totally and finally upon the majesty of what Christ has started upon the cross, that He will see it to the end in total fulfillment. Because that's the grandeur of the resurrection. as a guarantee that it will come to pass. It will be true. It will happen to us. And we shall be resurrected from the grave and enter the eternal kingdom. And so let this sign and countersign abide with us in uh, our days. He is risen. He is risen indeed. The grandeur of the resurrection, the grandeur of the cross, the grandeur of all that was accomplished. Let us uh, close in a word of prayer, reflecting that all that we are in Christ, all that we are and will be by the work of the Spirit in the second coming. Let's pray. Our Father, the adjectives and the adverbs of the English language uh, fail to give tribute to the answer to the prayer of Daniel in his prophecy, chapter 9. And yet we can apprehend a measure of it in Christ and His coming, His crucifixion, His resurrection. 
may in the days until He comes again, uh, we never lose hope. Uh, we never lose sight of uh, the fact that we are uh, destined to glory. Uh, we are, by virtue of the fact that we are the sons of God, heirs of eternal life and all of the joys uh, that await us in the eternal estate. And may this hope abound in our hearts, purify us, sanctify us, and be a message of the gospel that we take to the world for the glory of Christ. Uh, for He is glory, both now and forever. And let us uh, remind ourselves of a measure of that in the benediction of Hebrews 13. And now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep to the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.